Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? It's going okay. Um, I don't know if you've heard or <clears throat> not, but uh, the Seattle-Tacoma area is, has had rain pretty much for the past like week and a half, two weeks, mm-hmm. um, in some form or another. And it's 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 been great, Kate. It's been great. No, remind me. Is this are we? So is this flooding rain? Or can I joke about no. this rain? No, you can absolutely joke about this rain. It's not like intense enough to flood. It's just like there's enough steady rain like over the course of a day. Sometimes it breaks up and goes away and then it comes back a couple mm-hmm. hours later. Um, so no, you can absolutely joke about this. It's perfectly acceptable. It's basically we're getting like we are getting a lot of rain You're right now. living up to the stereotype. Yeah. I See, yeah. I'm all about the rain. I would like some more. We've yeah. had some here. But um, the thing that I just have no tolerance for is that it's supposed to snow in Madison. No. No, no, yeah. no, no. That's yeah. not acceptable. <laughs> We're in April. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, not a thing. Yeah. There's been some really great, uh, like, gifs and, uh, and memes going around uh, in reaction to that that I've been enjoying. But, yeah. At least it's not snow, right? Yay! <laughs> um, we heard from a few of y'all this week, so I wanted to quickly mention Vince reached out about Cloak and Dagger. Uh, I still haven't watched the premiere, but I intend to. It's just I get swallowed. I'm writing Megalovania for one of my students and adapting it, and it's been, it's taken a lot of time. No, this is why I'm behind. But it's going to be really cool when he plays it at the recital. So that's what I'm focused on. So Vince, I will catch up with Clo- Cloak and Dagger. We will respond to your comment once we're all caught up. Uh, but he's ex- he's enjoying the start of the season, and uh, he wants more Evita, which I think we can. Having not seen it, I'm I, I'm okay to co-sign on that. Yeah, no, I've watched the I've watched I should put in air quotes the first two because I was doing work while I was watching both of them, and it seemed good, and it seems like they've stepped up, like they found like a new level or like mm-hmm. a half of a level at least. But the visuals are still real good. Um, one of uh, daggers, um, whatchamacallit's uh, visions is. R- Really good, I think. Um, so I'm actually excited to see what they're going to do going forward, especially with Mayhem. Um, I kind of like how they're handling that, actually, this year. Okay, well, I'm excited to to see it once I have a moment. But uh, yeah, still not caught up. Still haven't watched the Broad City finale. So I'm gonna watch that first. Um. Okay. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I also heard from Alt Histories on Twitter. Uh, apparently, uh, Drag Race, there's been some issues on iTunes. And I have not, I should tweet out to them, get an update, but they, uh, they don't have cable. So they buy the, buy it on iTunes. They have like a season pass and like, like three days, four days after the last episode aired, it still hadn't gone up on iTunes. And Apple was saying that was uh, due to VH1, uh, not them, but uh, that seems like that's not how you run a business. So hopefully that got all worked out, but I'll have to check back in on that because I feel like, what's the point of buying a season if you don't even have it three days? Like, I feel like Drag Race, there's such an internet culture to it. There's such a fandom and communal aspect to the viewing experience that if you're watching it, like, a week later, yeah, you can go hunt that stuff out. But, like, all the tea is spilled. Like, there's so much that's happened in those three or four days. You got to be, like, 
you know, up on it, even a day late is, is can be tricky, you know, to avoid spoilers. But I can't yeah. imagine trying to like it's Sunday and the show airs on Thursday and you still haven't seen the episode. I mean, that's kind of how I watch it. So thanks, Kate. Um. <laughs> but you don't you don't like specifically purchase it from iTunes so that you no, can no, watch no, it. You know, super true. Yeah, it's no, a very no. different thing. Um, if it's a VH1 problem, it sounds like a music licensing issue that they're trying to work out. And mm-hmm. maybe they didn't clear it for digital. Whoops. Ah, okay. <laughs> I, w- I didn't think of that, but that makes sense. That That is a smart yeah. thing. Ladies and gentlemen, Noel is very smart. It is known. Um, we have some news this week, TV news. And uh, I'm listeners, I'm tired. So I'm behind on everything. I haven't checked for more. But a little bit of the news we do know is that <laughs> I was just, you know, when we talk about a show, Noel, uh, obviously we Google it and we're searching it up to find, if, you know, our cast list and all that stuff so we can discuss it. Um, and so then it's everywhere in my feed. Um, so Twitter made sure I knew that Hannah got renewed for season two. It's like, Oh, Twitter, you're stalking me, but you certainly aren't listening to my podcast to know how I felt about it. Um, but yes. Stalk me better, Twitter. God. <laughs> oh, it's very disturbing. Um, but then there was also a lot of Disney Plus news. I, I, the Disney news I was watching was Scarlett Johansson on Hot Ones. Because, yes, I watched that and I didn't watch the Broad City finale because I was uh, 2 a.m. and I was tired. Uh, but, of course, I wasn't sleeping because I would be healthy. Uh, so, so what's the Disney Plus news I should know? Right, so the big they unveiled a whole bunch of stuff um, regarding Disney Plus yesterday, so on Thursday. Uh, so it's going to be six ninety nine a month or seventy bucks for a whole year, which is a remarkably good deal considering the content that we're probably going to be getting access to. Um, it's going to be the only place that you can stream The Simpsons going forward, hmm. um, which is also a very big deal um, since. FX is in the in the midst of already like transitioning its uh its like streaming stuff already. Um, they've get they're getting FX now and FX Plus are both like basically just merging. It's very confusing, but I found all this out because I've been researching cord cutting for a package I'm putting together for a publication. Anyway, the relevant news for the Disney Plus stuff is, in addition to potentially a very deep archive of television shows, um, they did confirm. For MCU-related shows um, for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So they confirmed what we already knew about the Loki show, about the Wanda and Vision show, and about the Falcon and Winter Soldier show as well are all happening. And then they also announced, like the I think on Wednesday, that Hawkeye is getting his own show as well. Um, that will hopefully, I think actually feature kate bishop which is good because kate bishop is a much better character (laughs) than whatever version of hawkeye is currently floating around in the mcu um so that seems kind of promising um but the other thing i wanted to mention is that kevin feig called these shows sort of the future of the mcu uh and that they were going to really tie in and inform the next phase of the marvel cinematic universe in a lot of ways and i went Wow, Kevin, that's a bunch of shitty shade at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s doing just dandy, man. Nobody thought it was going to, well, very few people thought it was going to be on this long when it premiered. Right. No, I certainly didn't. So, and I I acknowledge that a lot of this comes down to the fact that Kevin Feig finally gets to play with the TV toys um, because he's basically wrestled so much control away from... um, um, the tel- the tel- the actual Marvel television people and been like, I'm going to play with my toys how I want to play with them is basically how that's gone. And Bob Iger went, yeah, no, you, you make a lot of money, so you can do whatever you want, Kev. 
And that's been the result. Um, so that's sort of the Disney Plus news. I'm vaguely excited about that price point of like seven bucks a month for depending on what the catalog is going to be is real good. And it's not going to be tiered like um, Warner Media has been floating that they're going to tier their system, which is terrible. Um, and then what was the other thing about Disney Plus that I wanted to mention real quick? There was something else about them. Oh, oh, right. And so the other thing that they floated about Disney Plus, which is kind of interesting, um, is that at some point they may be packaging it with um, Hulu and with ESPN Plus at a discounted rate as like a triple as a triple play bundle to Mm. which we all go. Oh, right. Because bundles aren't going away, cord cutting people. No matter how much mm-hmm. you think they are, they're not going away. So, given that Disney's got a sixty percent share of Hulu, it kind of makes sense that they would do this to supplement their uh, revenue streams. And ESPN Plus is shockingly only five bucks a month. Um, so, tossing that in on top of Disney Plus is a steal, depending on whatever they end up charging for it is. Yeah, well, and it's also one of the most watched I mean, ESPN is one of the most watched cable channels it's, yes. it's a massive uh, seller I mean it's like the thing that gets people to buy certain cable packages so yeah no when your cable package price goes up ESPN is potentially the reason why yeah <laughs> yeah so you know we will continue to follow all of this like the main thing for me is it, I mean all of these it feels very strange to have the after shunning the the, keeping the MCU and, and the TV shows so separate for so long, really actively, it feels very strange for them to be like, now our movie stars are going to be in TV shows. So, like, it still feels weird tonally. And I don't know that I, you know, well, it'll, it'll depend on who they get as showrunners, I guess, and who the yeah. creative forces are. But I'm not actually very excited about any of these shows just because I don't trust them to make good shows. <laughs> Especially after they had really good shows on Netflix and like we're like, nope, we're done. So, I mean, granted, that's a complicated thing with Netflix as well. But the point remains, I think they made uh, two or three really good TV shows over on Netflix. And I don't get a sense from the way that they've been doing their press that they've learned what I would consider the right lessons from that. And like that they they value the successes of those. Um, So... We'll see. Uh, yeah. yeah. And the other thing was with the Hawkeye show, every, I just everyone was referencing it as uh, there's a new there's gonna be a Kate Bishop show. And but I'm like, right, oh. which is the correct way to respond to that. Except <laughs> that if there's if Jeremy Renner's doing it, he's going to be the star yeah. or or he wouldn't do it. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's really what it seems like based from just from his persona. And when you see him at these press events, like. It's not like he's like, I love comic books. I'm so ex-. No, he's getting paid. <laughs> so um, I don't yeah, imagine yeah. him doing TV if he's not the lead. So uh, we'll see what happens. More on this story as it develops. Uh, this week at the end of the show, we are spotlighting, of course, the finale and concert special for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and front of the show, Allison Shoemaker from the V Club and Vulture and uh, RogerEbert.com and The Takeout and many places is here to to talk about the that with us. I intended for this to be a like all of season four thing where we briefly talked about the finale and then we talked about season four or maybe the whole show. And of course that didn't happen because we talked for like an hour just about the finale. But it was super fun. So that's coming at the end of the show. Yeah, it was real good. And 
Hey, we may actually hit like two and a half hours this week, Kate. We'll see. <laughs> Ooh, I'm so excited as the editor. Um, but <laughs> there's a lot of TV this week to to talk about. I mean, we're only talking about a handful of the shows that we watch, but there's there's a lot of things that I could see us going long on, shall we say? So we'll yeah. see how it goes. <laughs> um, but on that note, uh, let's let's stop talking, and so we are less likely to go long, and let's do a little music and come back with our week in comedy and reality. We'll be right back after this maybe this time i'll be lucky maybe this time he'll stay maybe this time for the first time love won't hurry away he will hold me This week in Comedy and Reality, we're going to talk about the season premiere of Wyatt Snack's Problem Areas, Labor Problems. That's right, it's back! And like, no one is watching, at least to my knowledge, but but we are, and you guys should too. So we're going to talk about that. Then we're going to talk about the return of The Last OG, Get Up, Get Out, and Get Something. That's the second episode, but we're also going to talk about the previous uh, episode, which was the season premiere. Then Noel's going to talk a bit about What We Do in the Shadows, episode three, Werewolf Feud. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about the premiere. I'm behind, but uh, you know we thought we should check in on how that adaptation is going. I'll talk about the finale of Shit's Creek, Life is a Cabaret, as well as just some thoughts on the season. And we'll round things out with Drag Race, uh, last week's episode of Drag Olympics, and I'll have a few thoughts on this week's episode of uh, From Farm to Runway. So first up is Problem Areas. And Nolan's so excited that they're doing education in season two. I am too. Uh, it's real good. And I this is a really strong start by going and focusing on the West Virginia teacher strike. And by focusing on that, you allow your conversation to kind of set a tone really quickly. But I also really appreciated how this episode in general is really well structured in a way that everything flows from one another really nicely from we're going to talk about unions in fast food and then we're going to talk about protesting and now we're going to talk about teachers trying to unionize and protesting so that they can get better pay Mm -hmm. and it's like oh that was a really good way of structuring your episode even if your modest proposal was very silly (laughs) but i still kind of liked it and i would wear a jacuzzi shoe (laughs) (laughs) well having a tonal like having a through line uh really helps um for the the multiple segments in each episode but having a tonal break is i think very important for why the show is so successful because yeah. these are heavy topics and sometimes you just need to you know theorize about a jacuzzi <laughs> what, I, what i don't even remember exactly how it was spelled but the, the jacuzzi protest shoot like like sometimes you know you need a little break and then you can get back into the crushing reality of our current education system you know yes. educational system um so so yeah the I was just so glad that this is back. I will be poking my family members um, who are in education. I have several family members who either are teachers or 
have uh like have professor and academic as a potential you know thing that they would wanted to do and have pivoted away and may may hopefully return to kind of thing so i've got a lot of people in my family very invested in the education system and so a lot of this is stuff that they know but i think they will they will respond to it so i'm really excited to be like you should you should watch problem areas you should watch you do you have hb i'll give you a password <laughs> watch problem areas um and listeners that's that's you guys too so i i'm really you know i was like how are they going to follow up you know policing and gun violence uh, you know, the in season two, what are they going to do? And going to the education system, I think, is again such an excellent choice. I mean, maybe they could have done healthcare and, and been more topical, but I think what they did instead was this is something that needs more attention. You know, everybody's already kind of talking about healthcare, and they should be talking. They should be talking about healthcare, but they should also be talking about our educational system. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see you know all the different lenses that they take to this issue. Yeah, I'm really excited about the lenses. I think the panel of folks that they have to discuss it throughout the season looks really good just based on this episode. Mm -hmm. I like that they introduced them all. Yeah, I did too. And I thought that was really good in terms of like, it's not going to help me keep them straight in like episode four of who they are. Um, But it was still useful in terms of like, all right, this panel seems really kind of strong and it's... Diverse enough in its approaches of we've got a number of education-based activists, so we're covered here. And so, plus some, like, folks in an administrative sort of capacity and some academics as well. Like, a historian of education is real good, who I'm sure is the one who loaned them all those Life magazines from the 1950s and 60s. Um, Yeah, that was depressing. (laughs) that was so depressing uh listeners to kind of um let you know um life magazine ran a couple of features in the 1950s and 60s about how teachers have to have side jobs to make ends meet or to afford to buy basic things for themselves so like being bus drivers or window washers or these kinds of things and that was in the 1950s and 60s and Sinak's point of being like, the, it feels like the only thing that's changed between the 50s and 60s and today is media is digital now. That's literally the only thing that's changed and <laughs> magazines are smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's a really good way to historicize this argument is that this is a systemic and chronic issue that re- that has been a thing across the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, at least as since like the baby boom world post-world war ii launch of the consumer era sort of deal and this is how this has been working so i think that that's also a really good way to sort of frame this as opposed to they're just like fed up and yes then they are fed up because this has been going on for almost for approaching like 60 70 odd years now so i think that's a really good way to frame it yeah. I'm, like I said, I'm excited to see what comes next. And uh, I certainly will be watching um, hopefully every week. <laughs> if not, I will catch up. Um, we also have the return of The Last OG. And this week's episode is Get Up, Get Out and Get Something. But I also really like the premiere. Uh, what a lovely return for these first two episodes. Listeners, if you are have been sleeping on The Last OG, like a lot of people have, uh, I think you can just dive right in with season yeah. two. And it's it's, you know. Unlike Jeremy Renner, 
Tiffany Haddish is like very, you know, she's she took her long enough to to break through that she she's happy to have a good job that is creatively satisfying that pays her. So I'm not worried about about her going anywhere. Um, And that has me very excited for what the rest of the season is going to bring. And hopefully if it comes back, you know, again, but this I mean, we like season one and it really grew over the course of its first season and season two is starting out strong. Um, so even if they stay at the same level, I'm going to enjoy this season. But if they have new heights to reach, that's going to be really neat. Right. I'm totally with you that they've they're they're really channeling that back end groove. And when you give Tiffany Haddish something like Ladies First, which is the premiere of season two, which is all about her pregnancy um it's real good and she's very very good in it in terms of how she gets shay's sort of um mix of dealing with white people and customer service kind of doing half interviews for jobs and then dealing with her mother and all that kind of stuff and how that all plays out and plus the show's structure of lead in for jokes of like you don't have a vcr what'd you do get rid of it not exactly cut to Dealing with her mom having pawned off the TV and the VCR to go buy drugs. And it's just, it's real good. And there's a real solid consistency there. And I really appreciated that. Um, And then Get Up, Get Out and Get Something is a really good example of how people who get out of the prison system kind of struggle to find work, especially work that they want to do as opposed to work that they just do to make ends meet. And I was actually curious how you felt about this use of Jack McBrayer, because this is a very subdued Jack McBrayer. It's so good. <laughs> it's it so was, good. It's like the best scene in the whole episode. <laughs> and I, yeah, I would love for him to recur. And like the, the, just the physicality later when he's walking by the cafeteria, also terrific. Yeah. Thank you, Last OG, for letting Jack McBrayer act and not just having him do Kenneth. Yes. Which is, yeah, no. <laughs> like, it's not on him. This is what people keep no. hiring him for. So I'm excited that somebody's hiring him for something at least slightly different. Right. Well, I mean, he's like a school principal in this and not like a, a gosh darn it school principal, but like a legitimate listen so here's kind of thing here's the thing and just like that whole kind of conspiratorial type of angle that you don't really get to see him play like in a very straight sort of way Mm -hmm. is just really delightful and then all the history between him and then tracy jordan um tracy jordan tracy morgan i kept inverting 30 then when i was discussing this yesterday Mm -hmm. my person i was just like i don't remember it also Mm. doesn't matter based on what tina fey has told me (laughs) (laughs) but um that whole thing between him and morgan was just given the 30 rock connections it was just a really kind of deep really good moment to watch that play out but generally the episode was really really good and so i'm really excited to see what they're going to keep doing going forward and i'm excited about the fact that next week's episode is a roller skating jam named saturdays and they're trying to save a roller skating rink and i'm just like yes yes let us do that please i have very (laughs) fond very specific memories of roller skating to s-a-t-u-r-d-a-y night you know like i Uh that's what i don't have very many like crystallized moment memories and there's no reason like i just have a bad memory for that i can do a hundred of a pie but you know why would i need to remember my own life um but for whatever reason i do i like remember being at funway and i'm terrible at roller skating so i'm just like crashing to the wall when i needed to stop (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. But uh, but I remember being there and just like skating with my friends, my family. I don't know. Um, but to Saturday night. So that's particularly fun for me. And we'll see what, what music they go with because there's a lot of ways you could go with that. And I'm excited for that. I'm also really excited for this food truck thread. Yes. Because um, yeah. I trust them to do something interesting with it and not just um, either like it'll be something that builds up over the course of the season or it'll take a left turn that we're not expecting. And either way, it's, you know, it's fun. <laughs> um, the, the, the conversation about the sugar in the muffins that he was baking was going to just make their leg go numb and give them insta diabetes <laughs> was really entertaining. And, uh, you know, I think they, 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 again, they did the levels for that just right. They balanced it just right. And it's, it's super fun. I also, it, you appreciate the ratio, like how they're splitting their time in the episode between, yes. uh, the halfway house and Shay and these different things. Like, I think so far, at least they're, they're getting a really nice balance instead of being like, we have Cedric the entertainer and he's really good. So we're going to just make up more scenes for him even if it doesn't make sense um so they use him he's not even in the first episode and they use him effectively but comparatively sparingly you know for what you might anticipate in the second episode and i I he's great and i think that then he keeps things moving really effectively so yeah we're we're enjoying Last OG, and we're glad it's yeah. back. Uh, we also talked briefly earlier about what we do in the shadows, and uh, I, you know, I appreciated the premiere. I talked about that a few weeks back. Um, but now you're caught up to the third episode, Werewolf Feud. Um, I assume Reese Darby is not in here, so therefore these werewolves can't be as fun as the original werewolves, not swearwolves, um, from, the, from the film. How is what we do in the shadows doing, and does your person love it as much as you anticipated? No, she's very much enjoying it still. And no, these are not these these werewolves do swear, so these are swearwolves. Mm. However, okay. they still capture that kind of disorganized um sense of camaraderie that's in the film about the werewolves and like they are in fact a werewolf support group um that meets together but then also like starts urinating on um um laszlo's um whatchamacallit laszlo's topiary mm-hmm. um displays and that sets off the feud but as nandor points out they have a pact on uh, a treaty with the werewolves dating back tens and tens of years uh because it dates <laughs> back to 1993 <laughs> so there's a whole duel with the werewolves um that's very good and it's a very nice this episode in general is actually a really nice expansion of creature mythos. So we get werewolves, but Kate, you will be excited. We get another type of vampire in this. Okay. Tell me. It's an emotional vampire. Nice. And it is played by um, Vanessa Bayer. And she comes into Colin's workplace Mm. and it becomes a feud of, because an emotional vampire just sucks everyone's emotions away. So the, they mm. don't have anything else. They don't have any energy for him to feed off of mm-hmm. because she just goes around telling sob stories all the time. And they're just like <laughs> devastated. And so there's no energy for him to feed off of. And so it becomes a really good sort of, um, they also have a duel in like a cubicle row and they're like in, they're like levitating and like saying comments back and forth. It's very good, Kate. It's, this is probably, I think probably one of their stronger episodes, if only for the energy vampire and the emotional vampire stuff. And as soon as we realized that she was an energy, an emotional vampire, I turned to my person and went, Kate's going to be so happy about this development. <laughs> I, and I am. I'm very excited to watch it. Yeah, Vanessa Bayer is great. And uh, 
I'm glad to see her, you know, popping up somewhere because, you know, since she left, left SNL, I, I'm sure she's been doing many things, but they, they haven't come like percolated up yet. So, yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see this. Definitely. Yeah. So I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Any more Doug Jones or not yet? No, no more Doug Jones yet. And no more no more Jake McDorman. So, I mean, we're, we're just kind of mm-hmm. waiting for some plot threads to coalesce here um, because uh, the second episode had some more with the LARPers. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't think the show understands what LARPing is. But <laughs> I feel like almost no one who does a LARPing episode does understand what LARPing is. Uh, I will exclude from that um, role models, which I think yeah. nails it. And yes. uh, Supernatural does a pretty good job with yeah. it. Like they do with all fan based things. Um, so yeah. yeah, I'm not surprised yeah. about that. But uh, the LARPers came back in the second episode, and so they are not in this one. But uh, at least one of them is going to have to come back based on things that happens the second episode. So. Okay, so we will see. Um, next up is the finale of Shit's Creek: Life is a Cabaret, and uh, all season or most of the season, they've been building up to the community theater production of Cabaret that they're that they're doing in Shit's Creek. And I thought they really delivered. I thought it was it was terrific. They have balanced their threads with the different characters nicely. Uh, to have everything culminate in an organic way by these last few episodes. Uh, the previous episode, no, they got engaged. Patrick proposed to David. Oh, cool. And a hike, and it was beautiful and just so sweet. Wait, why would you prefer? Look, I haven't watched enough of this show to really say, but I know enough to say, why would you propose to him during a hike? Why would you make him do a hike? And you may have drawn like drawn a, a circle around the comedy of the penultimate episode. Yeah. <laughs> he has no idea why he's being made to walk in order to eat cheese. But he's excited that he doesn't have to fold programs for his mother. <laughs> so, okay. Well, that's, you know. that's, a, that's a decent trade-off then. Yeah, so, so but it, it was, uh, it, that was an absolutely beautiful episode. The finale works really well. I mean, because of this idea of Stevie being their Sally Bowles, um, like, we get to actually see her perform, you know, she does uh, maybe this time. And I think, again, they did a good job of making her good enough that we really connect with the performance, but not like in some amazing singer who, why is she in this town, you know? Um yeah. And believably, someone who hasn't performed before before this production, yeah. um, so it's just it was just very well done. And, and they do um, Bill Coleman as well, um, which is very well very well done. But also very community theater if you had good dancers. Um, so so yeah, yeah, it was it was really fun. And they gave Moira just the most beautiful conversation with Stevie. And of course, Catherine O'Hara crushes it because she's amazing. The whole cast is great. Um, so I'm just so fully uh, enraptured with Shits Creek. And I look forward to going back and catching up with the previous seasons um, during the hiatus before the final season. Maybe this should be my Make You watch a pick. We'll see. Um, because, it, you know, there's there's you don't have to you wouldn't have to watch them all because I need to give you like 10 episodes max to watch this time <laughs> but um but just because it's so lovely and it would make me watch it but we'll see and i'm certainly not doing father ted after i've read some of that creator's comments he's terrible anyways um that takes us to our last episode for the week in common reality and that's drag race um let's talk briefly first about uh, drag olympics uh what did you think of the the uh the challenge structure and the mini challenge and i mean i really just had fun with this episode um and i really connected with it what did, what did you think though i think it's generally pretty fun um i i, I felt bad for the um team tuck Tuk- 
uh, since their outfits were just kind of blah compared to Glamazonia's, um, mm-hmm. sort of like slightly more, even though they're they're both kind of generic outfits. Um, clearly the show sort of provided these, I feel like, or at mm-hmm. least told them what to do. Um, so like neither, not, you can feel, I think all the Queens sort of be contained by the challenge, which isn't the best type of way to structure a challenge because then it becomes like a dancing and lip sync challenge. And I think that this is okay. I couldn't tell if like everyone wasn't like picking up on the choreography or necessarily the lip syncing. Um, but it's fun is the thing. And that's what matters is that there's a whole lot of energy trying to sell this stuff that I don't think everyone's comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, again, their energy generally makes up for that lack of discomfort or lack of feeling, yeah, the lack of comfort with the material. So I think that's all, it's fun and that's what matters, I think, ultimately, more so than anything. Mm-hmm. Even if some people do kind of fade out. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, they, they talk about that in this week's episode as well. There's really a focus on personality and how many of the queens need to step up their personality in the challenges and on the runway. Mm-hmm. And it was it occurred to me, I didn't talk about this in my review over at the AV Club, but um, this is a, it was a very pageant-heavy crop of queens. Yes. And I feel like that may be part of it because there's a lot of, you know, we're down to, at the start of this week's episode from Farm to Runway, we're down to the top nine. And of them, of that nine, there's a there's many of the queens who go for a very pageant, elegant, right. like, but not distinctly personality-driven kind of drag. I mean, right. they have their own personalities. You see them, like, it, there's plenty of personality in the workroom. But yeah. when they go on to stage, they just go for, like, regal. Like, I think of Akiria is a prime example. Right. She's hilarious in her talking heads and super chill and laid back and, and, and reactive, you know, like, really thoughtful in a way that's very entertaining. But then that doesn't come through on the runway and same thing with Brooke right. and the same thing with some of these other queens too. Raja is another one where nothing but personality backstage, but a lot of the time that isn't coming through meaningfully and plastique too in on the runway. And the people who are the more personality driven Queens, uh, Nina, for example, and, and Vanjie and Silky though, she's not delivered enough in the challenges. Um, but, but certainly Vanjie and Nina, both are struggling on the runway. So it's like they, there, this last challenge, drag, uh, drag Olympics, I really enjoyed it. But you could see who were the queens who really popped, and who were the ones who didn't. And the best dancers weren't always necessarily the ones who were who were popping. Who were really like Nina was hilarious. <laughs> she mostly yes. just shoved a head up and down, you know. And and so I think the that's one of the things that as as a producer, I imagine Rue and, and everyone else involved in in casting the show have to consider because you've got these insta queens and these pageant queens who are very focused on their looks and like what they can like the style and fashion and makeup and all of that but then they may have less experience in the comedy challenges and the other acting and and really connecting with an audience with creating distinct persona and at the you know so so seeing how that comes through in the mix you know, several episodes down, who is opening up, who's not, who's Cameron Michaelsing it, um, is yeah, it's been interesting. And so this this next episode is very very much about personality, but the challenge is they have to create looks that are all sustainable, so or- organic basically. Um, mm-hmm. 
And then you get to the runway and two of them have looks entirely crafted from denim. And I'm like, how does that count? Yeah, that doesn't count. But it apparently does. And one of them is on the top and one of them is on the bottom. And it's like, okay, like I get like you let them work with burlap because they need stuff to glue the twigs to, right? Like that I get. Also, burlap is really hard to use and falls apart really easily. But like denim? Eh, how does that? And they don't even. I mean, there's a, there are like there is denim that you only really have to wash like twice a year. Um but so its footprint is significantly smaller comparatively to like most commercial denim. But I'm not sure that they're using that denim. Mm-hmm. So it's like a weird sort of thing. And I think personality is a really good point to make, especially having just watched um whatchamacallit, just having watched Drag Olympics of like yeah, everyone's kind of doing pageant stuff except for Nina, who's doing really consistently good camp drag. Mm-hmm. And while I think that the read that uh, Michelle provides of like, you need to do some more padding is mm-hmm. correct. Um, there's also just the fact that Nina's doing something very different. So is Evie to a very large extent. Mm-hmm. And I think they're like the two sort of standouts, but then it's like, like you said, everyone else is doing this kind of very glamour based drag. And while I think that there are a couple of really good sort of glamour based drags happening here, I also feel like Vanjie's not listening to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you come out as a play? Why'd you come out as a bunny? Because she didn't and a, and have a, anything else that was gold, basically. Like, <laughs> but yeah, what, what's happening here? Why'd you come out as a bunny? Yeah, well, especially a week after Plastique crushed it as a Playboy right. bunny, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's just real rough. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm interested to see this the issue of personality mm-hmm. um, play in that, this week's episode mm-hmm. and see how that goes because uh, I. I do feel like there are, like you said, there are a number of really good personalities everywhere else but on the runway or the personalities that we get on the runway are either really consistent in the cases of like Evie and Nina or they're just real big and overdone and scattered in the case of like Sugars, mm-hmm. which is, I'm always like, hang on, let my person leave. Okay. Um, that Sugars drag is always... I always kind of like it, but then it just needs like editing and refining. Mm-hmm. And then I'm just like, oh, you could be really good. You just need to refine all of this. You need like a second or third pass. And this is going to be great. And I think like the gold drag from Drag Olympics is a really good example of that. Of like, this is all really good in concept, but it's not finished in like the patterning and the fabric work that you've got on because there's just weird splotches and I'm not sure if that's on purpose or not but it just looks unfinished Mm -hmm. did you clock that's the same material as Monet's uh makeover challenge from last season I did not was it yeah with the gold with like the different kind of like secondary gold color yeah I didn't notice that either one of the I saw that online somewhere or or one of the podcasts I listened to talked about that I was like (gasps) Good call. Yeah, they clearly yeah. went to the same, you know, fabric store, <laughs> or or just like you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, Sugar just she's certainly stepped up since earlier in the season, and I yeah. actually really like her her look and particularly her face because she 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 serves different faces in a way that several of the she does just do the same paint every every yeah. episode. Um, and so I really appreciate that. Um, but she I don't know who she is. 
I don't, yeah. I mean, I know who some of these other queens are. I don't yeah. know who Suga is. And I want more from several of the queens that I do know. I get what they're going for. But yeah, so we'll see what happens. Uh, the next episode is uh, Snatch Game at Sea. So we'll oh, see what God. happens. But yeah. I swear, if someone doesn't do a love boat persona, <laughs> yeah. but then also with this crew, the only person who's going to do a love boat persona is going to be Nina. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> what did you think of Love Connie? Oh, um fine like no, i don't no. i think that this was probably my first experience to love connie mm-hmm. i think i can't yeah. remember if i'd seen love connie before it was fine yeah okay fair enough i really enjoyed the galisthenics but that that's... no the galisthenics challenge was funny i just love connie was just fine okay for me. fair enough so, fair enough yeah. um i will look forward to your thoughts on um farm to runway and um yeah we'll talk about it next week but with that what wins your week in comedy and reality well, never let it be said that I, we shouldn't return to a concept. Um, Blackish had its Andre Johnson good person episode that we both kind of railed against based on the episode title last week. Mm-hmm. And it was not as horrible as we thought it was going to be, Kate, but it was also just a really kind of bad, good place riff of, it's really hard to be a good person. And it's like, yeah, I know, there's a whole show about it, Blackish. <laughs> <laughs> um, so while this episode was not as bad as we thought it was going to be, it was also just like kind of there. Um, which I think best describes Blackish at this point, just kind of there. Um, as for what wins my week, um, I think I'm gonna go with Wide Snacks Problems Areas just because it's back and it's real good, but also The Last OG was super good as well. So what about you? What won your week in comedy and reality? West Covina's craziest girlfriend. But uh, but we'll talk about that later at the end of the show. But of these episodes, um, let's see. I'll do. Oh, and by the way, it's the Crazy Ex Girlfriend concert special specifically. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, well, I don't no, no, believe no, no you that you say. No spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the listeners will learn soon. Um, but uh, of these, I will give it to. Oof. I get. I'll you know. I'll split it. I'll give it to the Shit's Creek finale. Because uh, it was between that and why it's the next problem, Mary. So you gave them some love, so I'll give it to to Shit's Creek. Um, so yeah, so now we'll take a break, listen to some more music, and come back with our week in drama and genre. Seems that I was busy doing something close to nothing, but different than the day before. That's when I saw her. Ooh, I saw her. She walked in through the outdoor. Outdoor. She wore a raspberry beret. A kind of find in a secondhand store. This week in drama and genre, Noel's going to be talking a lot. Listeners, I will be asking questions, but I have seen a few of the episodes. So we're going to kick things off with the season premiere of Killing Eve. Do you know how to dispose of a body? <laughs> then Noel's going to take us to The Good Fight, the one where a Nazi gets punched. And I am very excited based on that title. Then there's also the season premiere of The Bold Type, The New Normal. Um, he's going to catch us up with The Promised Neverland, and we'll round things out with Legends of Tomorrow, The Getaway. So first up, Killing Eve. Um, I thought this was a really strong premiere. I mean, the, the, I was less enamored with the finale than other people but i think my distance from season one has only elevated the finale for me like i'm i've kind of have come around like oh 
okay, I guess if that's what you're gonna, it is your show and your characters. You probably know what's best about it. You've made a really good show. So yeah. Um, so I, I, I've come around on the way that season ended and I think that the way they pick it up here is really successful and super fun. Um, I, the, it, and it, they capture the same essence of these characters without sacrificing the, their journeys over the first season. Um, and without, sugarcoating them in a way that I think some shows would be tempted to when they had the kind of breakthrough success that Killing Eve did. Um, too many shows would try to make a villa, Villanelle um, just cuddlier, and they don't do that here. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, did, by the way, did you know that their shipping name is Villanive? And so now I keep, like, thinking Villanelle's name that. is Villanive. Anyways, what did you think of this premiere? I liked it. Um, it's very much sort of a reset sort of thing as well. It feels like of like, all right, well, we have to get we have to get Eve back into the saddle sort of here, mm-hmm. and we also have to sort of reset like Fiona Shaw to a certain extent, um, and then we have to have Vianelle on the run kind of deal, and also the costuming department. What can we do that will make Jodie Comer look ridiculous? Oh, damn! It didn't work. <laughs> It didn't work. We put we put her in comic book pajamas and it didn't work. <laughs> See, like, I, I, I appreciated that, like, she had some gaposis going with the buttons because it was too small. You know, yeah. it wasn't too small enough. But yeah. uh, but I appreciated that attention to detail because I was certainly going like she's like she's a very different shape than he is. So yes. um, this shouldn't work as well as it does. Mm-hmm. But she's also Jodie Comer. She looks amazing no matter what. Yeah, is what it basically boils down to. But no, I think that there's a really good number of pickups, including like Eve dealing with um, ne- Nico mm-hmm. and like that giant mound of vegetables. <laughs> so I think that there's still plenty of really good humor here, as well as sort of grappling with, all right, well, we have to get whatever this new ball rolling is. So we need to like reset everyone to a certain extent and then throw them together again later on. So mm-hmm. I think that there's a really good number of really good setups here, but mostly I think it's just a really good showcase for both O and for Comer in terms of like having like fun things to do, whether it's cracking up at a train station when you're mistaken for being a druggie, mm-hmm. which is just the best thing I think Sandro has ever done is just the, like that laugh of like sheer relief. Um, or, the sort of tender kind of killing that Comer gives for Vianelle when she snaps that guy's neck. Um, I think there's just really good things happening across this episode. So I'm generally pretty optimistic about season two. Um, and we should note that this got picked up for a third season already, even though they will also have a brand new showrunner for season three. Uh, so this show just goes through showrunners real fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I I thought that the, the focus of this episode is a big reason of why it works so well. We don't uh-huh. spend a lot of time with characters who aren't our two leads. And then like just the very few people that are in their immediate vicinity. Um, so we're really very f- tightly focused on them. We get like that one morgue scene, which is great with uh, yeah. Fiona Shaw. Uh, so there's just like a couple of scenes with her, but most is fallout. And uh, a big part of that, you may recall, I had a lot of trouble with um, the balancing of Nico and, and I didn't feel like the show had done enough to really 
tell me how she feels about Nico, how Eve feels about her husband. And so I appreciated that he was front and center in her scenes in London. And the, it felt like, okay, we remember this guy exists, guys. <laughs> and um, I still don't really know if I know how she feels about him. But I yeah. think I know as much as she does now which is good <laughs> so i don't know like she might be like a little uh, confused about about it but like she clearly she's like like I, I think i think those that connection and the is very palpable while she's fully aware that she's hurting him and has hurt him and like you can see the weight of what has happened kind of sink into her and the danger that she put him in when she gets home and yeah. uh and so i don't want her obviously i don't want Eve defined by her husband or anything, but I felt like there was more an awareness from her of how the finale, series season finale impacts all of her life and not just the immediate. And maybe that's more appropriate because she's not, she's had time to process a little bit, you know? So that makes sense. But um, yeah, so I'm encouraged by this, even though you know, we don't have Phoebe Waller bridge anymore. So we'll see if they can keep it up, but it was a strong premiere. Yeah. I think so, too. So I'm excited to see what we've got going forward from them. Yeah. And I'm excited to find out who's punching Nazis. So the good fight, the one where a Nazi gets punched, tell me everything. Right. So um, after what happened last week, which I won't tell you because you haven't watched. You're a um, yeah, behind, I'm a couple right? behind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Luca and Jay get dispatched like two hours out of Chicago to go be uh, poll representative, poll monitor representatives. Um, to for a special election in a hotly contested district, and some red some red coats show up. Basically, folks there to white supremacists to suppress people from voting by showing up in their red vests and making a hubbub and everything. And things escalate very quickly uh, over the course of the episode. And Jay punches a Richard Spencer esque um, red coat, and the. Jay also gets like a little soliloquy, as is the show's want at this point. Um, that happens while he's like walking towards the camera as the camera like pulls, walks away from him while this riot happens in the background. And again, it's all like very Shakespearean esque, Henry V sort of thing of a rallying cry of like, no, sometimes you need to punch Nazis. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's that's the Nazi that gets punched. And so that side of the episode is really good. Um, the main reason I wanted to mention this is that it feels like the show's phasing Maya out. Mm. Um, like actually officially phasing her out um, to let you know she ends up getting fired from the firm after events in the in the episode three and starts working at a call a lawyer tell 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 a line and isn't able to make is worried about making ends meet diane sets her up with a couple of interviews but none of the interviews are basically one of the interviews isn't hiring for basically six months and then another one isn't hiring for a month maybe and so there's a scene with her and luca that ends the episode that basically ends with we were just work friends and door closes and the implication being that maya is gone if Maya's not gone, gone, because they've confirmed that she's still in the show, the show. this season. Yeah. But th- given the fact that she was not in any of the promotional materials, like the key art and everything that was printed out for the, like the posters and everything, 
um, people are pretty sure that she's done. And there, there was also an SNL joke about both of them being out of work. <laughs> okay. She and Kit Harrington both being out of work. Okay. Um, so it's the implication being that Maya's pretty much done, which makes sense given the fact that they've just never known what to do with her, but also the fact that this show rejiggered itself real drastically, especially in season two, and didn't know what to do with her. So I'm curious about what you think um, going forward. Um, one other reason to watch is that you get a duet of Prince from Diane and Liz in this episode, uh, singing Raspberry Beret, and it's fucking delightful. Of course it um, is. Yeah. It's so good. Um, and it's But we also still have to deal with the fact that Michael Sheen's weird Roy, Roy Cohen slash Al Pacino impression is now here full time and i'm not crazy about that so we'll see how that goes for the rest of the season but it's not great um but yeah so there's a number of other really interesting things happening around like with um julius and marissa have some really good stuff that's going on over the over these two previous episodes so there's a lot of really good stuff still happening on the show i'm waiting for it to all kind of come together but it's also just a show that every time i watch it now i'm just like this show is a solve and a balm sometimes and just by how weird it is sometimes willing to be so i'm still really really enjoying it okay do you have any thoughts on the juliana margulies shade i mean I, I appreciate wanting to get paid what you des- think you deserve to get paid. But I also think you're going to a streamer from a broadcast. You, you, you don't you don't get the same pay. That's not how this works. You, you think Michael Sheen went, I expect Showtime money. No, he didn't say I expect Showtime money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I expect 30 Rock guest star money. Yeah. Well, and, and like, yes, Juliana Margulies is like launched the show that launched this show absolutely yes. and so you, sh- you should be paying her more than you're paying an, a normal guest star yes absolutely but the the quote that i saw from margulies first of all you don't need to just like call them out like that <laughs> no <laughs> and second of all um we mean like if they if, if they were like offensive with their their suggestion of how much they'd pay i guess maybe you would but um but yeah. second of all it sounds like from her quote like about this that she was asking for her same rate that she was getting when she was the lead of uh, of the good wife and she wanted that for each of the three episodes that she was like you nobody watches all access they do not have a budget like like the cbs mainstays do that is ridiculous of course they can't pay you that also they will not be asking you for anywhere near as much time as they were when you were the lead of a show so you should expect to get paid on a guest cast like rate basis like basis like more than other guests Yes, obviously, definitely. Yes. But like the example she gave of like, you know, Kiefer Sutherland gets paid for 24 and the other thing, it's like, yeah, Kiefer Sutherland isn't going on to, you know, Hulu or, or I mean, because that's not even a good example because it's way more niche than Hulu. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. He's not going out to a, a, a streamer that no one has, that very yeah. few people have, and then expecting his same base pay as when he was the lead of 24. Like, that's ridiculous. So, yeah, um, yeah. it is. Yeah. Anyways. And so, 
yeah, no, that's how I felt about that too. It was just like, that's not how any of this works, works, Julianne. Have you never been a guest star on a show before? <laughs> yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. You deserve to be paid, but you don't deserve yes. to be paid that. Like, no, I mean, like, no one's going to get paid that. You might deserve that, but they, they don't have that kind of money. So that's not going to yeah. happen. So, no, yeah. No, they don't. Anyways. Okay, let's move on to the bold type and the new normal. The only thing I've seen about this uh, premiere is uh, apparently Jane's still terrible. And I'm not very, not very surprised. So <laughs> what did you think of this premiere? Are you excited to be back with, you know, the, the ladies of Scarlet? I am excited to be back with the ladies of Scarlet. Um, and I think that this episode, like... Um, sort of the Killing Eve um, premiere is um, very much a all right. We gotta we had a finale. We gotta like go through and um, reestablish some things. So Scarlet got a little bit of upheaval um, with uh, them exploring like healthcare and everything and what was being offered to their employees. And then it being like them, the board of the com- the publishing house that publishes Scarlet, wrestling control of that away from um, Jacqueline, sort of, and giving someone else oversight of digital, basically. And it's a dude. <laughs> it's a dude. Um, and um, who? What's his name? I don't know if it's even on here. Uh, Patrick. Yeah. Um. And so a lot of this episode is sort of reestablishing relationships or where people are in those relationships. So Kat's struggling with the fact that a dude is heading up digital at Scarlet. Uh, Kat is dealing with the fallout of uh, Dina and hers breakup. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sutton is just dealing with the fact that uh, Richard asked her to move in. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh no, how terrible for you, Sutton. Mm-hmm. These other two issues are a little larger yeah um so the cat stuff i think is generally fine even if a lot of it is also tied up in the patrick stuff of no you need to be like way more present on social as yourself that's a thing um and so there's like some pushing from him for her to be more who she needs to be on social um which is weird white guy kind of explaining stuff um, without knowing full context for why she's taking a digital detox. And it's because she's going through some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but the episode also goes out of its way to answer a central question of why is Patrick head of digital? And Jane, he actually ends up tasking Jane to do this because he's not allowed to talk about why he left his other company mm. under an NDA, but he wants to be, people to know why he left. And it's because some other um, writer at his previous publication or editor at his previous publication that he was basically same same place in the hierarchy as mm-hmm. was getting paid like 2000 less than he was. Mm-hmm. And so he basically like dropped his pants in a meeting to be like, the only difference between the two of us is that I have a penis. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't like actually expose, and he doesn't, it turns out that he didn't actually expose himself, but he just like dropped to his underwear basically. Yeah. And that's why he got fired, but he's also not allowed to talk about that. So it's basically sort of a way of like, right, no, this guy isn't terrible. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's, it's like, that's the implication and that Jane has to end up dealing with is that, oh, no, this guy 
cares about things and he's not a horrible man type of is the implication that's coming out here and he also pulls her to be his primary writer for digital now so she's not going to be on the magazine as much Mm -hmm. um so that also sort of like is chafing her a bit as well so it just i i hope i like it that just sounds really performatively woke you know it is very performatively woke i think is like the larger thing with patrick is that it's very performative and to a certain degree i think that the show is aware of that because of the fact that um oliver calls like jane goes to oliver and be like so what is what understandably goes what do his clothes say about him Mm mm-hmm and Oliver's just like, oh, no, um, it's real clear what his clothes say about him. It's all this sort of like put together disheveledness of like, you just threw this together, it's super look casual, but everything's very meticulously put together. And that's exactly what this guy is um, from his whole assignment to Jane of like doing this so we can talk about this, even though I legally can't. And like, so there's this mastermind sort of performative aspect to this guy that I'll be curious to see how well they carry through going forward, um, since he's also, like, very clearly supposed to be set up as a, um, whatchamacallit, as a potential romantic interest for Pinstripe, who's still around. Mm-hmm. Who's, who actually has a name, but I'm never going to remember it. Pinstripe, that's fine. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's move on to our next episode, and that's Promised Neverland. So this is one of the new animes, yes, for this season? No, so this this was an anime from last season that oh, okay. I mentioned, like, when it premiered. This is the show about the kids who live in an orphanage. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. things start happening. It's certainly not in a fairy scheme. <laughs> it's certainly not in a fairy scheme. It was a nefarious scheme. <gasps> I'm um, shocked. You're shocked. So, um, their finale was like a week or two ago, and I was a little bit behind on it, um, because my person and I just didn't have like the emotional bandwidth to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so it ends really well, um, in terms of like, oh my gosh, I really hope there's a season two and a continuation of this, because there's a number of things that they set up that I'm very excited about. But the main reason I wanted to mention this is that for the first time in, a solid cycle of anime that I feel like this is a show that I can recommend to people who don't like anime um, because a lot of its um, storytelling structure and um, a lot of its like twists and turns are really deeply informed both by being a manga originally, but also even those twists and turns and those you didn't get to see the whole picture type of stuff is very informed by a lot of like Western twist storytelling that we're very used to now on television with these kinds of like thrillers or conspiracy theory type things where you get a slightly new perspective on something that changes everything. Um, And that comes through really heavily, especially in the last two episodes of Promise Neverland. And so I think that there's plenty of really good stuff here for people who are just like, yeah, but anime is all that all X, Y, or Z. And it's like, mm, yeah, it can be. But then there's also stuff like this um, that you, I think works really, really well. And there's really good, like, sort of emotional resonance here as well. Um, but it's also just a really good twisty, turny thriller that I think has real merits to its plot pivots as well. Um, it zigs just... To, just when you think it's going to zig, it zags just enough, basically. And doesn't overplay those hands. And so I really liked that aspect about it. So I'd encourage you, not you specifically, Kate, but also maybe you specifically. But yes, also me, but, yes. 
Yeah, I just encourage listeners who have access to this, depending on where it's licensed in your country. If you're in the U.S., it's licensed on Crunchyroll, um, subtitled only, so you can uh, watch it there. And I'd encourage you to do that, because uh, it's all free now, because it's all finished airing. So I would check it out, um, even if you don't particularly like anime. I think it's pretty strong in its storytelling and in its aesthetics as well. I think they do some really good aesthetic um, and animation work in this show. So I am hoping it gets a second season, knock on wood, Mm -hmm. uh, but no word yet. Yeah, no, I certainly was intrigued by the setup and your discussion of it um, when it first premiered. Even if I didn't remember what the title was, I certainly remembered. I was like, oh, it's that one. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad to hear that it ended so strongly. It's 10 episodes or... Uh, it's 12 12 okay half yeah, hour 12 half hours yeah okay good to know well i'll put it to, on, on the docket <laughs> along with so many other shows i still want to watch season two of shira haven't gotten close to it did that all. start yet they are, that already dropped oh did it yeah when? i think so let me make sure i'm not limitlessing this okay do because netflix do, hasn't been pushing do, that on do, me do, so do you april 26th is when it's premiering okay okay that's so what i thought yeah. it's in a couple weeks but yes yeah I, there are several others i'm behind on big mouth and behind on bojack i'm behind on plenty of other shows that i in, fully intend to watch um so i will put this on the list though along with the one that was in your top 10 from a couple years ago that i still haven't seen that was gorgeous if, if you don't get to it i'm just gonna make you watch it in august that works so. <laughs> hey yeah that, you know i'm you know i'm cool with it um yeah yeah, but what I one of the things I did watch this week though is our last episode for the week in TV, and that's Legends of Tomorrow. Because when I get back and I'm zonked and very tired from a long day of work and teaching, and I still have a couple hours of work to do, you know, I put on Legends first thing, and this was the getaway, um, which basically was an excuse to get most of the Legends in an RV with Nixon and a truth bug. <laughs> so I think that the for me the season is going along nicely. I, I think they're handling the stuff with Mona really well um the emotional stuff with her and sarah was really successful and and uh, i mean even with that horrible cgi that's sort of the charm of it um and i like what we're getting how they're balancing i guess what i keep coming back to is well-balanced shows but the way that the the legend is um threading the needle with um um hank and uh with nate and then zari is being well used with that um, I think that works really nicely here. The The return of Nora is f- fun and surprising, but like really effective. So I'm I'm like very excited for how, how she's going to feed into what comes next. And the only thing that was disappointing to me about this uh, was that they did not. I mean, I really wanted Hank to get bugged. And so when he didn't, yeah. like, I guess that I mean, I get that's the whole thing is because he's not lying. The bug doesn't go into him so when he says i'm doing this for you it doesn't attract the bug which means he's being honest but like i still wanted a little bit more um from that so we'll see if you know whether he's dead dead or they're gonna undo it dead so you know a lot could come to play i would love if nate like has a moment of reflection after finding his father's corpse and quickly comes to the nor didn't do this side because that would feel like it was in character for him and yeah. uh so i'm hoping that's what's coming but even if not i'm sure they will sell him like out to get nora and then like the tension that will prompt with ray and everything um right 
but but yeah, I, I thought most of this was very fun, and like all the RV stuff was great, and Constantine just like uh, sidelined Constantine has actually been surprisingly effective these last couple episodes. Yeah, um, I think like the biggest takeaway from this episode is that. Their Richard Nixon is significantly ben- better than their Lyndon B. Johnson was last year. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep shoving um, him in a closet. That's great. Just like Dr. Yeah, Who did with no, Hitler. No, but also, like, I mean, I laughed so hard when Nixon complained about being bugged. Mm-hmm. I just went, oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Um, but no, I think that there's a number of, like, really good humor beats. I think that the bug that feeds on lies is really delightful and i liked sarah going like covering her mouth and then the yeah. bug just going like oh no there's there's a there's no nose. there's more holes <laughs> yeah there's more holes and it's just like oh this is very good but i think like some like as always with these sort of like truth-based spells or mm-hmm. thingamajigs that happen there's always like a number of really good things that kind of come out of it from i think that the loosened necktie is a little too try hard and it's just like it's very good, Ray. Yes. Embrace it. Embrace that. Um, but also still be my good little boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's a lot of really good stuff. But I do agree with you that I would really like for Nate to kind of come around very quickly on, no, I didn't do this. Um, even if it does have all the hallmarks of a dark life suck sort of thing to it, mm-hmm. um, that I think is very purposeful in terms of like narratively setting that up. Um, and because they want that drama with Nate and Ray as that tension, like kind of ratchets up a little bit and that we even like get a reaffirmation of how much they really care about each other at the end of this episode. And it's like, Oh, well, no, we're going to, we're going to play with that some more. Mm -hmm. And this is how, um, I had actually kind of forgotten that Nora was in that prison. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I was just like, Oh, right. She was in this. Cause they also did that ladies day drinking episode as Mm -hmm. well. Subplot. So I was just like, right. I forgot about that. So I'm excited to see all this kicked into gear. And also the fact that, this is all kind of kicking into gear because of the fact that the show liked <laughs> um, Wilson, who plays um, Tom Wilson, who plays um, Hank so much as like a human being that they're just like, we can't make him the big bad. <laughs> so we're not going to. Um, hence um, the uh, demon that Constantine was sort of dealing with at the beginning of the season mm-hmm. being the new, like the big, big bad. Now it's just like, oh, no, we like him too much. And also, it's more interesting. Yeah, it is. It's much more interesting. And um, so that was so. It's all going to be really good. And I also just appreciated the runner of them forgetting Charlie as Nixon. <laughs> yeah, no, like, and, and just going straight up Home Alone with the performance mm-hmm. in those moments. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, that's what that was. Thank you. It was like I knew that there was a reference there, and I just couldn't place it. But that's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Good times. Good times. Uh, I still feel like this is only like, like I liked the Luchador episode a little bit more. Um, but uh, yeah, this is not, they're not back up to their full, uh, like operating on all cylinders yet. Yes. But I feel like we're going to get there soon. So I'm, I'm really I excited mean, for what's coming. The next episode's called Seance and Sensibility, Kate. Right? <laughs> it's Seance and Sensibility. I'm going to be excited. Oh, anyways. Okay. What wins your week in drama and genre? Um, 
good question. Promised Neverland's finale was a couple weeks ago, but it was real, real good. And so probably give it to that as just like an extra boost. Um, but the good fight, uh, the one where Natsuki gets punched was also pretty good. Well, what about you? What one year we can genre and genre, drama and genre? Bleh. <laughs> I'll give it to Killing Eve, uh, their premiere. Do you know how to dispose of a body? Um, yeah, so that was that was fun. And I'm, I'm glad it's back and that it, I mean, it doesn't have the same instant impact that the season one premiere the pilot had but it, yeah. they're in that same conversation like quality wise which when you come in with a season one that just is really really good every single episode uh that it can be hard to regain that momentum right from the start uh see also barry which i still haven't watched the season two premiere of but that one's gonna have to really step it up for their first episode so that it can live up to season one um, i think killing eve does that successfully here so i will give it to them now we will take a break listen to 11 o'clock and come back with our uh, conversation with friend of the show allison shoemaker from the av club and the takeout and vulture and roger and other many other places uh, to talk about the f- series finale and concert special for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. We'll be right back after this. I was working hard at a New York job making dough, but it made me blue. One day I was crying a lot, and so I decided to move to Escovina, California. Brand new pals and new career. I admitted that's where Josh lived, and that's what brought me here, because I was just a girl in love didn't want to be held responsible for my actions i had many underlying issues to address and i didn't didn't want to be crazy no wait i didn't did want to be crazy to clarify i got a diagnosis a diagnosis and i named the darkness and though i We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, Trent is everybody, and old Kirkpatrick. And uh, listeners, you know how much we love Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Of course, we were going to talk about the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend finale and really spotlight that, as well as season four and maybe the whole run of the show. Uh, of course, we were going to do that this week. But uh, we also are not silly people. We also know that we have several friends of the show who love this series as much as we do. And so we had to get at least one of them on. And fortunately, Allison was able to come on. So joining us uh, to talk Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a critic, generally lovely person, and also Crazy Ex-Girlfriend expert, uh, Allison Shoemaker. Allison, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It has Is your life just been Crazy Ex-Girlfriend these last couple of weeks? Because you've got like all of the pieces. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's it's felt like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend pretty much nonstop since about late January. Um, because I, for the couple of the pieces that I had run, uh, I did a lot of traveling. So I was in California a couple of times, um, to attend some, some different things, which we can talk about if you want, um, including one of the tapings of the finale, which was, or the concert special, which was so, so fun. Um, so yeah, I've been up to my eyes and crazy ex-girlfriend and am somehow not sick of it, even a little. Well, let's plug those pieces. Uh, where, where can people find your writing? Sure. Um, so I published essentially three big things about the finale in addition to my finale review at the AV Club. 
where I covered every single episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend without ever having a sub. So <laughs> if you want to know what somebody thinks about literally every episode of the show, <laughs> as far as I know, I'm the only person who did that because a lot of the other outlets switch recappers. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, I've got also at the AV Club a piece called uh, How Crazy Ex-Girlfriend Got to 11 O'Clock, um, which is specifically about the making of what was at the time the last song in the show. But partway through the process, they added a reprise. So then it became not the last song in the show. And of course, the ending of the episode kind of based on your perspective, I choose to view it as the actual last song of the show is the one we don't hear. So uh, it's sort of about all of those things. Um, and then over at Vulture, uh, there's a piece about um, sort of a behind the scenes glimpse at the making of the finale from the table read through uh, about a week before it actually aired, as well as a Q&A that's really just a bunch of stitched together questions that I couldn't actually include in any pieces that ran before the <laughs> finale aired. So um, so you can get thoughts from Rachel Bloom and Aline Brush McKenna on um, the different relationships. We had an interesting conversation about some lines from the finale were cut in regards to Greg in order to leave the ending a little bit more open, which I think is really cool. Uh, and I also asked just a whole bunch of people what they think Rebecca Bunch's first song is, um, which I got some really fun responses to. So you can find those at uh, vulture.com. And they're super fun. And we are going to be talking about at least a few of the things that you talk about in those uh, articles, because I have thoughts. And Noel, I'm sure you do too. But let's kick things off with what did y'all think of the finale? It was very highly anticipated. Obviously, here at the Televerse, we love it. Um, but I imagine, you know, living when you review a show, listeners, if you don't know, we've talked about playing the show here. But when you review a TV show, you really live with that show. You like, watch and rewatch and analyze and get into the minutia. So I imagine, um, Allison, you had a different experience than Nolan and I did watching it, thinking about it, reviewing it. Um, so for those who haven't gotten to your EV club review yet, what did you think of the finale? Did, did they, you know, send the show out? Right. Um, so I, uh, have an interesting perspective on the finale, both because, um, recapping is such a, a Eric Adams, who's, uh, our editor over at the AV club, the TV editor describes it as a strangely intimate relationship, which I think is pretty accurate. Um, but I also, uh, first heard the finale out loud at the end of January. Um, and the episode did change, um, not in, not in terms of the story, but in the structure and some, some sort of fine tuning of what was happening thematically. It did change since then. Uh, but I've known what the last line of the series was and what the focus of that episode was since the end of January. So I've been living with it for a long time. Um, and so I really liked it. I mean, it hit me like right in the solar plexus when I heard it the first time. And I've thought about it a lot since, um, so, you know, my perspective is admittedly very different. And I think probably skewed by that emotional experience. That was definitely um, the hardest review to write with the possible exception of um, I Never Want to See Josh Again, which is the um, uh, episode in which Rebecca makes her suicide attempt in season three. Um, it was probably the hardest review to write. Uh, but, I, you know, I still think 
if I turn my critic brain on, I really liked it. I think that there's a sense of inevitability to it that you still sort of don't see coming. Um, The simple idea that no one had ever asked her what happens when she sort of turns away and stares off into the distance um, was so simple and, and true. I mean, they, it's, I think this is a line in the finale and not just a thing Aline said to me, but you don't ever see, she doesn't ever actually tell anybody that other than Dr. Phil and the dream ghost, both of whom are also obviously inside her head. Um, and the idea that Paula who spent the last two seasons, two seasons and change, I guess, chasing her own dream and having to come to grips with the fact that she could make this happen for herself, that she did deserve to do the things she really wanted to do and to feel like her truest self, that she is the one who ultimately hands Rebecca that pen and says, get going, I think is really powerful. Uh, I love that they left it open-ended. I think there's some beautiful filmmaking. I think Aline did a really nice job um, from a directing perspective. I think it like, it looks beautiful, Great performances. And maybe my favorite thing about it is they're just the right amount of jokes. Every time it started to get a little overly sentimental, a little precious, a little fan servicey, they would just cut it just a little bit. My favorite is um, White Josh saying, never really came around on you. Um, but there are lots of little instances like that. What did you guys think? No. Yeah, I really liked it as well. Uh, to Allison's last point about humor is really it's really important for the episode to work as well as it does from white Josh just coming out and saying, yeah, I never really came around to you to Hector and Heather talking about their jacuzzi. <laughs> uh, like it's their child. It's got my hair all up in its filters is <laughs> just so fun. And, but it balances everything else really nicely so that when we do get like 11 o'clock, and that really delightful medley of representing her, both trying literally sort of like turning in circles and staying in place at the same time is as she tries to figure out what her identity is, is all these dresses um, and outfits from various songs roll around her. Um, It's just a really good representation of that kind of internal theater space that Rebecca's operated in. And I really appreciated that, even though in my brain, narratively, I went, yeah, but that doesn't explain why everyone else was singing when Rebecca wasn't around. Um, But it it doesn't matter because the story is so kind of granular and focused on this epiphany moment. And it feels a lot more powerful, I think, done in this way than Kate and I had sort of discussed like last week of the or in the weeks leading up to the finale of like, well, if they pick a I choose me sort of finale, it's like, it's not going to ring really true at this point. And then they kind of do it, except for the fact that it feels much more potent than a I choose me. It's a I choose this concept of me, this life of mine that I've wanted to have. And now I'm actually going to try and get it. And so we get to see her like taking piano lessons and those poor exasperated <laughs> vocal coaches and piano teachers that hit home yeah exactly i bet it did and so i think the finale just worked a lot better than i was sort of expecting it to and i was just really really happy with it overall and sort of happy with generally how kind of low-key it ended up being as well so that's how i felt about it how'd you feel about it kate okay so now is when everybody hates me it didn't like it it's not a good episode 
But Mm -hmm. I love everything that happens. And I love where we leave all the characters. And I love the themes and the idea and the conceit and the, like, that's all great. The, the 11 o'clock, like the way that that is put together is gorgeous and really evocative. I don't care for the song. I don't care for the medley, but I do like the 11 o'clock part of it when it's not, you know, like I, I, I love the way that it functions and the idea of it, but I, you know, like it's never going to be like when she goes through the different theme songs and these different things, it's like, there's a sense of culmination, but it doesn't work separately because it's just so disparate. That's because the point is putting together all these different songs, but the whole doesn't really work because it's, trying to stitch too many things what makes it work is the reference and so the reference has meaning but it doesn't have meaning on for me on its own uh whereas the 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 original part of that song i really really liked actually and that's sort of how i felt about the the whole ending the first part of the episode i was super on board with um everything with paula is great that um west covina reprise is fabulous and then we get to the second half of the episode and we listen to rebecca monologue and she just tells people things they already know so that we can hear it. And she it's just the the way it's done, like everything that we find out about what their last year has been is like is great. But the way that they did it, the narrative device of I'm going to stand in front of the stage and say, and then you did that thing at your job. And then that you already know about and anybody else would know about if they cared. And and then you got a hot tub and it, it, it the pacing really slowed down for me. Um, like, I, I feel like there's a better way to show what they were doing over the last year than this. And I felt like it was also too clever in trying to trick the audience. And if this is like her debut of her first performance, then that's meaningful that's not flyback from like I wrote a song is not flyback from New York meaningful. It's not flyback from Guatemala meaningful if you are not actually actively dating this person, you know, like for Nathaniel. So while I am super on board with like the idea, like where they leave the characters, the everything that went into writing, like what's been going on in these people's lives and Rebecca's journey and all these different things. As I was watching, I, I, and maybe it's just because I hyped it too much for myself. Um, but it, the actual, like as an episode of TV, I didn't think it was very good. And I realized that I'm probably wrong because everybody else loves it. Every other TV critic I've seen loves it. <laughs> uh, with I think there was, I saw one critical piece about the the resolution to the the quadrangle that we can talk about um because i kind of am with them on the on that but everybody else loves it so guys tell me about how i'm wrong well kate i think i you said something about maybe you think you overhyped it for yourself and i wonder if maybe that's not part of it because i can totally see all the things you're saying but they're just they feel like such minor parts of what the story of the episode actually is and what's actually there. Um, you know, I, I would, I'd have to try to figure out percentage wise what the time is, but her spending the time on that stage doesn't actually feel like she's up there all that long to me. Um, nor I think in terms of reality breaking, does it seem odd that she would, that Rebecca, an incredibly dramatic, emotional person would 
give like a essentially an award speech um before she debuts her first song um so that didn't really bug me at all um i it also didn't seem weird to me especially knowing how much valencia has been going back and forth um since we also see them hanging out in Rebecca's living room, it doesn't seem odd to me that they'd come back from New York. And uh, given that we know that Nathaniel was maybe going to propose to Rebecca, um, it also doesn't seem weird to me that he might still care about her enough to travel around the world, especially seeing as he is filthy, stinking rich. Um, And we don't really know anything about his whatever monkey program he did in Guatemala. Um, but I, uh, I can totally see those complaints for me. It just, it's such a blip and not one that even had occurred to me before you bring it up that, that it didn't really bug me at all. I didn't feel like I was being told. I feel like it was like a narrative trick, right? Like George's ponytail was a narrative trick, but it, um, but it worked for me and felt like a thing that that character would absolutely do. There's even the, a line at the top about um, leave it to Rebecca to make a big production out of it. Um, so, yeah, so I that didn't bug me at all. But admittedly, I was so caught up in what was happening narratively and thematically that those kinds of things weren't even really on my radar, which is why the review was so hard to write. What about you, Noel? I do think that there's an element of expositional dumping here, but I think that, and that, that in in itself can feel a little clunky. And it, I definitely do think that it feels clunky at points, but it's also, again, it becomes like an issue of balance in terms of the anecdotal stuff that gets told uh, is really delightful and really funny. And I think that helps balance it. Um, But I also think that your point, Allison, about, this is totally something that Rebecca would do is recap this for them, even though they've been going through it themselves um, would totally make sense. And also there are people there who are just suffering through all of this that don't know any of this. Um, so they need that information too. They don't, those poor people that are just there for an open mic night. Um, but I, I do think that the, this idea that Rebecca's wanting to have a big moment and have this sort of reunion sort of thing happen, that she wants to recount this of, they inspired me by doing these things. And I want to acknowledge that they did these things, whether it was go to, the zoo, go to a zoo or go and get a hot tub. Everything that you did sort of inspired me and pushed me to continue to do this. And because of those things, I was able to write this song. And I think that's that's a really, it's a way of honoring her friends' contributions while the show also honors its cast's contributions, even though poor George didn't get any acknowledgement. But I think that's where it kind of falls. But I can... I can totally get on board to a certain degree with Kate's issue about the expositional sort of aspect of it, that it does, it can feel a little clunky. And even I was like, all right, yeah, no, we know Well, we don't know, but they know. And yeah, but that's always the tricky balancing act with television finales, especially when you're doing something like this. And I always like, I always create finales on a curve. So when it comes to how well they're executing kind of a central idea, if they have one, then I'm much more lenient depending on what that central idea for their finale is. And I think that the overall approach to it here works really well. So I'm willing to give them that leeway. 
I'm trying to think of how, what they could have done that I would have, where this would have responded, I would have responded better to it. I think, like, just showing the year. Like, the, they did that wonderful time jump um, last season. And and they told, and it was such efficient storytelling. Like, I think they're, and I, and I wouldn't want to lose the scenes. Uh, like, I wouldn't want to lose the scene of Paula at her, like, that, that, office and i wouldn't want to you know these different things the the little aside about the hot tub is delightful um and finding out just without a flashback (laughs) that way josh lost everything in a fire um was was so well done but for me it just it just screeched to a halt because maybe because it felt like there was such a narrative push towards a reveal and then realizing that the reveal is her song not like who she picked that's why it bothered me but yeah i mean that's the thing is i don't really care that i don't care for half of this finale because i love the show so much and i love everything they're saying and i love all the themes and the idea and the concept so even if i don't really think they nailed the execution of half of this episode for me that you know that it doesn't really bother me. And for me, the actual finale to the show is the concert special. Um, so, and that is perfect. That is the perfect way to do a finale for this show. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit before we get to that. Um, for the finale, do you guys have any other thoughts on like, how did you feel about this decision to have her choose like none of the guys? Did that work for you? I mean, I'm guessing it, did for all of us from what we were saying but uh did you have like how was the execution of that to to you guys because there was a lot of build-up yeah i mean i have to admit that very early on in the run of the show um i read an interview with aline brash mckenna where she was um recounting her experience making i can't remember if it was 27 dresses or devil wears prada but one of her bigger rom-coms where at the end she wanted the protagonist to end up without a guy and just like happy. And that's fine because being in a relationship isn't a happy ending. It's just like a part of your life. And sometimes it's a long part and sometimes it's not. And that's how it is. Um, and I just, when I read that, I was like, Oh, that's how crazy ex-girlfriend is going to end. Great. Like she's in charge. <laughs> it makes sense that that's especially the story that that's how this would end. Um, what I really appreciated about it. And this was something that they tweaked, uh, between when I heard the table read for the finale and when it actually started shooting um, uh, was how open-ended it was. You know, Josh seems pretty much like a non-option. Their priorities are in different places. It also seems like while he loves Rebecca, he really just wants to be settled um, as opposed to wanting to be settled with her specifically. Um, so, but even they sort of leave the door open for Josh too. Um, but really it's like Nathaniel and Greg and then Jason, which is so perfect. Um, and obviously AJ and father bra are not an option there, but, um, originally there was a line, um, that I think was that she said in the cabaret but it might have been when she's explaining the situation to him i don't remember which but there was a line that was like greg if it was going to be anyone it was going to be you and they cut it uh specifically because they wanted to make it more open-ended that you know it could be she could 
date any of these guys or she could date none of these guys. She could meet somebody else. I think an example Rachel gave is she could go to Paris and study music and meet somebody there and fall in love and with him for two years and then comes back and Nathaniel's back and they're together for a while. And it, and it could be that she's with one of those people for a long time, or it could be that she's just sort of still looking for a person that makes her feel great at the right time for both of them. And, um, and it's not an end point. It's just part of the whole of your life. Um, and that this is all really just leading up to when her the life she wants really gets started. So, of course, she doesn't know who she's going to be with, who she's quote unquote going to end up with um, when she's just getting started. I loved it. Yeah, and I think that there is an element of foreshadowing done with life's not a movie. <laughs> And this idea that life is a, not a series of like, it's a series of like messy choices that we all make. And there's no clear cut sort of answer that comes about right at the end. Um, while that song is in the doldrums of a number of things happening within various people's lives from Daryl and Josh, uh, white Josh being having a conversation about having the kid to Rebecca's walk of shame from having slept with Greg's dad is that there's all these choices led up to this sort of thing, but we just don't know what's going to happen at the end. And I think that that comes through really clearly here in the finale of like, yeah, no, I thought that all of this is how this was going to go, but I opened myself up to Paula. I explained what was going on inside my head all these years and she accepted it. And now it's like, well, if one person can accept this, then I can finally start to accept it. And I think that that's really lovely and really gorgeous. And it gets back to the larger point of the season of doing the work and ending with that kind of idea of doing the work um, that's necessary, even if she's not necessarily good at the work of learning how to sing or play the piano, I think is really potent and really powerful. So the idea that the, the guys get put aside basically for this work, I think is really good and really lovely. And I do think that they do leave it a little open-ended, even like framing wise, like Josh's wife just kind of keeps fading into the background. And it's like, that feels weird and purposeful show. Um, but also white Josh's comment about, I'm not going to feel safe until both of you are with someone else is also really delightful. Yeah. Um, I think that they, they, they mostly handled well. It was a good idea. And obviously it was something that we had talked about on the podcast, wanting them to do or hoping they, what they would do. Um, but they also, they, <laughs> I don't think they left it open-ended at all for me. Um, cause they'd cut that line about Greg, which I think was good for what they were going for, but they didn't then cut. Like, you know, like we you described last week, Noel, the fact that the date with Greg and Rebecca isn't a date, it's yeah. a relationship. And they didn't cut the fact that Greg is still single and and White Josh figures basically they're going to end up together. And they didn't cut um, White Josh actually telling uh, Greg that he should really he doesn't like Rebecca, but they're to, they're perfect together. And they didn't cut Greg's, uh, you know, you're the love of my life. So like, there's so many things that they didn't cut that I think they really tipped their hand in, uh, in one direction and then decided they wanted to walk it back for the finale. Um, so that, you know, anybody who is an invested shipper could, you know, see the, uh, their ending. 
And also because they're, they didn't want to have there be a correct answer. But I think that like, that was something they needed to be more wary of earlier in the breaking of the season and some of the other writing choices, if they wanted to leave more open-ended. I think I also would have been more satisfied with this ending if it had come closer to her spiral after dating Greg this idea that she can't be in a relationship while she's doing this work because then she won't do the work the way that she needs to because i um the only the only couple i had with this her choosing none of the guys thing because she needs to do this work for herself is that it gives this idea that there's a certain point at which you're done working on yourself and you're okay and then you it's okay for you to be in a relationship and until then like she like this idea that you you can't be somebody who's working on themselves while you're also in a relationship, which I don't think is true, and I don't think it's something the show necessarily agrees with, but it does seem like it's something that that this ending is kind of hinting at and pushing towards, and so that was a little unsatisfying for me, so that's sort of, i saw I was a little mixed i don't I don't think that that's the argument that the show is making. Um, I think it's, it's not about working on herself because the, the show has done a really good job starting in season three, but really reinforcing in season four that Rebecca's never going to be done working on herself. Like it's a, it's a constant, it's that line that she has in the backsliding episode about like, I just spent a year doing crunches and now I just want to eat donuts and also do crunches never again, but also keep this ass or whatever it was that the line was, (laughs) um, it's that, right? She's always going to be working on herself. This isn't about whether or not she's healthy enough or stable enough to be in a relationship. This is she spent 30 years stifling a huge part of who she is without realizing it, without realizing that that's what she was doing, consistently devaluing this thing that lives in her as being weird and stupid and people would think it's weird and stupid and then out of nowhere a friend finally figures out that that's what's happening with her and tells her it's not weird and stupid this is a huge part of who you are literally how you process the world and you've been telling yourself it's dumb your entire life and figuring out that dealing with that reality and then to say nothing of learning what to do with it as like not just a talent but as like a what they kept when I talked to Rachel and Aline they both kept using variations on the phrase put the outsides on the inside or sorry put the insides on the outside um that's a full-time job on top of a full-time job right that's a thing that takes a lot of time and energy. And we already know that sometimes when Rebecca is dealing with a lot, she's just not capable of sort of maintaining herself. Um, but also if she doesn't, if she was that far from really knowing this one really key part of her life, how can she be ready to be in that kind of love? I guess I just, I don't think that it's about, about working on herself i think it's about this whole giant aspect of her life that she's been denying suddenly being open to her and they're very likely just not being room for somebody else when it's a task of that size does that make sense yeah but i mean i yes but i just think i don't think they conveyed that in well enough because 
what is she like? So that means you can't eat dinner with people, you know? Well, it's not like she's not socializing. We see her with her friends, right? Yeah. But love is a huge trigger for her. Huge trigger for her, right? We've seen her have to actively work hard to not obsess when she's in a relationship. And presumably her relationship with music with her own music is going to be kind of similar. Um, I mean, she literally has friends over and is working while her friends are there, which I think is a lovely, it's a tiny, tiny scene. Um, and not one that was in the episode when I was at the table read. So it was a really sort of moving surprise when I got to that point, but, um, Oh yeah. I figured they were all on their phones. So they weren't actually there. Really? No, that was not my read at all. Oh, interesting. That's why I figured they were all in their own space and they each had their phones but that oh, means no that... i definitely read that as they were all there yeah oh, they interesting were just okay. hanging out in her living room well then she can work better than i can <laughs> <laughs> i can't work on music when other people are there but that's just me um okay yeah sorry please continue um i have lost my train of thought <laughs> i have successfully uh, derailed us good <laughs> um, anyway, I, uh, yeah, I just, I mean, I think it's also, I've had, you know, significantly longer to think about it than almost anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so my relationship to it is going to be different than yours, but I've been like, and it's really stuck with me since not just because of it was my literal job to have it stick with me, but on a personal emotional level, it really resonated with me. And I've thought about it and turned it over and over and over in my mind a lot since, um, since I first heard it. Uh, and then, um, obviously since I watched the episode with all the other critics who got the screener. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I will be curious, Kate, to see if, and how your opinion shifts um, with some time and space, because it's definitely picked up additional resonance for me in the time since I first sort of learned the ending. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know how you go with the theme of, I don't know who I am, but I don't, it's not that I need to do work on myself. I don't know who I am, but that, you know what I mean? Like that, that is their Okay, well, then this yeah. might actually be part of where weird, this is just us not communicating yeah. well, um, because I've, there was a lot of concern sort of in the craziest girlfriend Twitter sphere about what it would mean if Rebecca wasn't able to be in a relationship because she had to do more work on herself and wasn't Mm. ready. So when you say work on myself, that's what I'm taking it to mean. It's like, she's not healthy enough to be in a relationship. Oh no, Dr. Copes gave her the go ahead. Yeah. And I don't think this is about health. I think this is about priorities and it's an incredibly huge move for this woman who begins this series by uprooting her life just based on the faintest possibility that there might be this like destiny this it's a delusion essentially this destiny with this person that she doesn't know at all anymore um that that woman prioritizes anything above a romantic interest right that she is able to say, actually, this is the most important thing to me right now. And that she has the self-awareness to know that that means that there's not going to be room for this other thing mm-hmm. based yeah. on who she is. And that's like mind blowing to me and a really, really happy ending. And also the show goes out of its way to make it clear that that's not 
a permanent thing either, right? It sure does seem like she's going to walk off that stage and try to figure out who she's going to go on a date with first, to me anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I think so that, that just, and, and I also will be interested in my take on it with time because certainly my, my take on some of the music, which we'll get to here in a moment has shifted with time too. Um, but again, it comes back to that same theme for me of loving the idea, loving the concept, having real problems with the execution. So we'll see if that shifts with time. Um, do you guys have any other final thoughts on the finale or we should talk quickly about the concert special? Um, I would say this, uh, if anyone listening or if either of you haven't watched the documentary, oh my God, I think it's over, um, on CW seed about the making of the finale. I super encourage it. It's fascinating to sort of watch them go through the process of shooting that number. I was on set for the very end of it, um, for the West Covina reprise and then for the bits that they filmed in Rebecca's kitchen. Um, but the day when they shot on the turntable, it was like everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And it's fascinating to watch them work through it together. So I really encourage watching that. It was really, really cool. It's a great little documentary. And Rachel was a hundred percent right. They needed that shot of her in the dress. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Noel. Um, no, I think I'm okay to talk about the concert. I think you two have done a really nice job hashing it out. So, <laughs> And I know we will continue to do so the next <sighs> several times we hang out in person. And I look yeah. forward to it. Um, <laughs> so best finale or bestest finale? Because I love that concert special with every fiber of my being. I've watched it twice already. I want to have watched it more times, but I can't because of life and it's frustrating. I love it so much. What did you guys think? Well, Allison was there for it. Uh, so why don't you tell us about like the experience a little bit about just being in that, being in that theater. Uh, Cause they were at the Orpheum, right? Yes. Um, let, well, let me put it this way. I, here's the time I had. Um, I impulsively purchased tickets to New York to see it again at Radio City next month. That's the Okay, time. well, there you go. But they're not going to be able to recreate that beautiful thing with her dad again. They're not. And I was there for that taping. Um, so what you're seeing ultimately is bits and pieces from four different tapings. Three were live. One was like a dress rehearsal that they taped. Although I don't know how much is actually from that dress rehearsal because a lot of it, a lot of it is from the night that I was there, which was their kind of like fun run where they got to do and say whatever. Um, definitely the thing with her parents was from that night. Um, the sex medley was from that night because Michael McMillian made her break. Um, a lot of, uh, bringing itchy cat up on stage to help her sweep. That was my night. A lot of it was the night that I was there. Um, it was really amazing. It, everybody was so happy to be there. I was worried that, that people were going to be sad. Um, like I'm not sad, you're sad, but, um, but no, it was incredibly celebratory. Uh, there was a huge amount of cosplay, really specific cosplay. I saw somebody dressed up as Paula's dad um, in the my friend's dad outfit, like in the number outfit. Um, there were a lot of Without Love, You Can Change the World shirts. Um, I saw several uh, iterations of I Give Good Parent, both um, – 
brooch camera edition and turkey bra edition and backup dancers. Um, a couple of really good cringe. I think you see the girls that I saw um, in their cringe outfits uh, in the show. Lots and lots of great things. There's a bit they cut that I wish they had explained because it just makes this dude in the front row look like a dick. But um, when Pete Gardner did get in by, he asked everybody who was cosplaying as Daryl to come down to the front and dance, which was really fun, um, which is why you see people in white suits just randomly standing up at the front. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was just, I mean, it was amazing. It was magical. One of the things I expect that at a certain point, maybe things that were cut are going to show up on the internet. Yeah. On Rachel's YouTube channel or wherever else. Um, the thing that I was the most bummed about is they cut um, <laughs> uh, Sex with a Stranger, which was really fun to see live. Um, but the real bummer is the show actually initially opened with no one else is singing my song. And um, they had a couple of people on stage singing it. No, Rachel, but I... Um, Vinny Rodriguez was up there and Scott Michael Foster and I forget who else. And then everybody else in the ensemble was scattered throughout the audience. So they would pop up on all those impossibles, like at different positions in the crowd. And it was really fun and uh, magical. So, yeah, I mean, it's the energy that you get watching the finale, the actual concert on TV is exactly what it was like being there only a little bit more electric because people were just thrilled, like a wall of sound, unbelievable wall of sound. Um, it was great. It was really great. No, it's good to hear because I think along the same lines of what Kate's alluded to is like, this was so much fun to watch and it just gave so much life like my person and i immediately dived into it after we finished the finale and my person was just cracking up at just everything she was having the best time watching this and it was also just so fun to get like this uh medley uh the, the different kinds of medleys and also like you knowing that this was sort of like the fun run explained so much from getting the just breaking people with the electric toothbrushes to the ridiculousness of everyone in the sperm outfits and how bloom is responding to all of that and being like why are people doing this to me why are you embarrassing me on tv dad and all this sort of stuff is just really really great and it speaks to just how sort of delightful and well working this cast seems to be as well that they had this kind of an energy for this show and really turned it out and are going to keep turning it out at least for like another new york run um it's just really and great UK. And, and uk there you go see and I, I think that's just really really great and really fun so i was very happy with it I thought the the combinations of songs worked really well. Um, they did really smart cuts that you you know, unless you're a very devoted fan, you might not have even noticed that they cut out verses of songs yeah. to to save on time. I thought that those were pretty seamless. Um, they made sure everybody, all the main cast at least, got at least one number, and I thought that the flow worked really well. It was a good uh, mix of like it was a smart and effective mix of the songs. And also they all sound so much better live. Like I know <laughs> that like, like uh, Rachel says that the, like the best version of the, of the songs is the ones from the show and that they've released, but she's wrong uh, in my opinion, <laughs> because when they can actually open up and sing 
They sound so much better. So much. The only person who doesn't sound better live is Vinny. And that's because he's got to dance at the same time. And that's everybody else sounded much better uh, live than they do in the in the pre-recorded. It's like it's less processed and less mixed. You, they're really performing. They're feeding on the energy in the room, which is huge. And yeah, so that was just for me. It was like, yeah, Donald Champlin sounds good on the show, but she's way better live. And the same thing is true of Pete Gardner, even though he's not. He's like the not singer of the group, you know. I mean, just for all of them, it was wonderful to see what they actually can do. Yeah, the other surprise for me, and I totally agree. I think the one, the person who sounds the best live compared to how he sounds in the recordings is Scott Michael Foster, who I who sounds great. No comparison. Yeah, but is so much better live. Um, but for me, the best surprise was the number of people in the show who can seriously dance, whose skills as dancers were pretty underused sometimes in the choreography, just because there wasn't a reason in the story for it to happen. Um, when I saw the concert, um, I had just the night before seen um, the screener for the episode with Love's Not a Game in it. So I had like gotten a little advance notice on the fact that David Hall is such a serious dancer. Um, but watching him tap dance, watching Scott Michael Foster tap dance, watching Esther Pavitsky tap dance and Clark Moore was um, was a really, really cool surprise. It was just like oh, by the way, these guys can do everything. We just haven't always been able to use every single one of their many skills. I thought it was really, really neat. And ending with um, the number they do, because they're definitely like, we're getting a freaking tap break in here because uh, all of our ensemble, a lot of our ensemble can tap really, really well. And we're sh- we're putting that on TV, goddammit. <laughs> um, not only is that the right number for them to end on, antidepressants are so not a big deal, for the message of the show. Um, and it worked so much better for me in this context than it did in the show without the, the – with the – like this version of it worked much better for me because it didn't feel as heightened um, in because they, because of the cinematography. Right. So I like this version better. It's something we've talked about previously. Um, so, so that makes sense for the show, but also just because they're like, yes, Esther, you get in there. You show them what you can do. My freeform show got canceled. I'm going to ride this train. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we completely run out of time. Top three favorite things about the show we haven't mentioned. Because we don't have time to do a full uh, retrospective on the, the entire series. Maybe we'll do that some other time, Alice, and you can come back. But three other things you love about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or you haven't appreciated about the special, the finale, anything. Um, who wants to go first? Alison, please go ahead. All right. Um, that's that's really hard. Three things. Okay. So three things I've been thinking about a lot lately. Um, I uh, am working on a song ranking. So I've been going through a lot of the like mini songs and reprises. Um, and some of them are so, so funny. And I love the, the many ways they found to just take something they already had and find a new joke out of it. Um, but two I've been thinking about a lot are um, the... Daryl cleaning song mm-hmm. <laughs> from this season uh, and the ultimate crazy ex-girlfriend mini song, which I was so glad made it into the concert special, yes. which is George's turn. One mm-hmm. of the best jokes the show has ever, ever, ever made. Um, 
And when that, when he came out and was so mad, I was like, I can't believe they're going to do this. I can't believe this is going to happen. And then when it didn't get cut from the broadcast, I was so happy, um, both because the joke is amazing and because it's even funnier when it continues. Um, like that's really what makes that joke is that he gets to keep singing and then it still happens. Um, but also because Danny Jollis is, um, he's just been such a, like an unsung player on that show, I think has made a lot of really strange storylines work. Um, um, and it's so consistently entertaining. So I love George's turn would be one. Um, let's say, um, I have been enjoying the, the final seasons, um, increasing nod toward, uh, meta references, something that's also happening a lot on legends of tomorrow at the moment. Um, it can be a really hard thing to pull off and I don't think all of them work, but I think most of them do, which I really, really appreciate. Uh, so that, and then for the third thing, um, let's see, let's say that I, um, have a new appreciation recently for a diagnosis, which rapidly climbed my list as, uh, uh, one of the great crazy ex-girlfriend songs because it's the one that feels the most likely to be a song that Rebecca Bunch would sing, um, as like a Rebecca Bunch song. Uh, so I've been thinking about a diagnosis a lot lately and that's just a really, really good tune. Uh, and yeah. also of course, innuendo, innuendo. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's still my number two. I have to reevaluate with this last season's songs, but I'm pretty sure for me, it's still you stupid bitch and diagnosis is one and two. Um, yeah, both really, really high for me. I have a hard time imagining anything knocking you stupid bitch out of the top, but a diagnosis could do it. No. Um, well from season four, just other Rebecca's so good and pure and evil and deranged. And I just, I love it so much. And, um, from everything from, I lived in a wall for eight months to asparagus is my enemy. <laughs> it's just really, really good. And so I always enjoyed um, other Rebecca and it was just like, what are we going to see next is one of the best things. Um, my person that I kept shouting, I eat my own eyelashes at one another for a few weeks. Um, just because it was just, it was so weird. Um, but so other Rebecca was just really delightful. I also enjoyed the season four theme song overall. I thought it was really good. Um, the meta stuff that Allison alluded to, I think has also been a really good, um, whatchamacallit aspect of this season, um, from their ridiculousness. I know the holidays are almost over, but can I still have some candy cane mocha? It's like, it's, it's what, what? No, (laughs) but it's, (laughs) It's so funny and ridiculous. And I think that then the other thing just boils down to um, the fact that we got something like Love's Not a Game and that it set up that long stretch of giving that kind of final farewell to the entirety of the, their ensemble that they could get to come back for a little bit. Uh, it was just really lovely, and a lot of shows don't have the capacity to do that, and I was really glad that Crazy Ex-Girlfriend gave their ensemble that chance to shine, and it was really, really lovely. Here, here. Okay. So for my three, I love the costuming throughout the show. It's been amazing, and having that culminate in 11 o'clock was beautiful, really well done, and also nice budget-saving way to do it, but like, <laughs> like on a practical level, but just 
I loved that imagery. I thought that worked so well. That, that'll be one of them. And speaking of the meta, one of my favorite lines from the entire show and, and by reprise, I mean, whatever, just don't think about it. Like, like it's, <laughs> it's so great. Just the right. And then like almost never that meta again until season four. Great. And then for my last thing, uh, in, in, you know, what Elson and I did that, uh, TV party, segment with Latoya Ferguson uh, in front of the show Latoya Ferguson talking about the cur- at that time the cur- the ranking of the songs of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and one of the things that I appreciate now that the show is over is that my like my like the whole run of the show has such amazing music 157 songs almost all of them are good and now that I have the c- context of the whole show you know to to look at I can appreciate the ones, the songs I didn't like that much are still very good. And I enjoy them way more now. And that's not like they're going to get better with time and not worse, uh, almost universally. And that is something I'm really excited about. Kate, I've been thinking about that exact thing a lot lately, because there are songs from the show that when you're thinking about them in terms of like, well, what's the best and what's the worst? What's a good crazy ex-girlfriend song? What's a bad crazy ex-girlfriend song? Um, It can be easy to be kind of like, well, obviously, duh, is at the very bottom of the barrel and then you listen to done you're like this is so fun and dumb <laughs> or like um or like flooded with justice which has always felt like one of the lazier musical parodies and then you listen to it again and you're like what they'll all go to raging waters this is so wonderful so um yeah i totally agree when it doesn't have that weight of needing to lead to the next thing and you know and, and the expectation when it can just be itself yeah um so on that theme on that note it's been wonderful talking crazy ex-girlfriend uh allison with you and noel of course with you uh allison where can our listeners find you and your work online uh you can find me primarily at the av club and the takeout uh, but you can also find my work at rogerybert.com vulture some other publications and uh, you can listen to me and most of the time kate on a podcast (laughs) called hall of faces um which is a podcast that aims to elect uh, all-time great characters from their respective TV shows into our Game of Thrones adjacent Hall of Fame, um, which is just a blatant grab for you to listen. So, uh, yeah. And then Podlander Drumcast and Outlander Podcast, which is exactly what it sounds like. And it's wonderful. And, of course, you can find The Televerse at our website, theteleverse.org. You can leave us a comment. Let us know what you're thinking. You can find us on Facebook. Like the page, start up a conversation there. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can uh, find us on iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews. You can also find us in Stitcher. Same thing. And uh, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thanks for a great week, Kate. And thank you, Noel. And thank you, Allison. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.